Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. We hope that this message inspires you and helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. The last couple of months, as much as we probably hate to admit it, there's all been a little panic buying in each one of us, right? We've and I don't know, maybe it was at the beginning of all these changes that you started going, I need to stock up on something, or maybe you were late to the party, wherever it was, it's probably fair to assume we all bought a little more things than usually we would need. I know for us, we definitely bought a whole bunch of milk. I don't know why, but we did. So stocked up all this milk, the long life milk, unsweetened almond milk, you name it, nut milk, the stuff that I normally wouldn't buy anyway. I still remember opening up my first bottle. I'm pretty sure it was almond milk. And, you know, I felt adventurous at the time. So I poured it into my coffee, poured it into my cereal, and I, opened, and I started drinking it. Man, it just tasted so horrible. It tasted like watered down water with a little bit of weird almond milk tasted. And I was like, what is going on here? How do people even subject themselves to drinking this? And then I looked at the side of the bottle and in big, bold letters it says, shake well before use. Silly me, of course, and I know you've probably never done that, but it was a classic Jono move. So sure enough, I shook it up, all the sediment, you know how it goes, it rose to the top, poured it in, still didn't taste that much better. But needless to say, there's just so many things in our life, and you know, that not just with food, but a whole lot of things that are just so much better after they're shaken, right? So you've got to shake well before use. And in a weird kind of way, I wonder if this is what happens with our lives, particularly during this season where so much is shaken, we have been wanting to talk about as a church community about what it means to be unshaken. And maybe, and here's what I want to suggest today, maybe some things are necessary to be shaken in our lives. That sometimes the best of something is realized when it's shaken. Or your potential and my potential and our potential, even as a community, is best realized when shaken. So we've got to shake well before use. So what I want to do today as we continue on with this series, Unshaken, and maybe you're just joining us for the first time, I'm so stoked you are. Perhaps you're someone that's not even a Christian or someone that doesn't usually lean into like religious or, or church programs like this. Or We're just so glad you're here with us. And feel free to jump back and hear any of our previous messages before this. But what I want to look at today is the idea that maybe, maybe there's some good that can come out of the shaking that happens in all of our lives. And maybe you've asked this question. I certainly have asked this question. When things are shaken, when the economy is shaken, when our lives are shaken, when health is shaken, maybe when a relationship is shaken, maybe there's an area in your life right now that is shaken. I've often asked the question, what is God up to when things are shaken? Have you ever asked that? Maybe if you're experiencing pain in your life or grief in an area, and if you're someone who is a follower of Jesus, you've certainly probably found yourself going, God, where are you right now in this pain? Perhaps you're someone, the reason why you're skeptic of God is you've been through pain and you've seen things shaken in your life and gone, if there was a God and if God is loving and the Christian God that supposedly is seen in the person of Jesus, if he is this faithful, loving, sacrificial God, well, where is he when life hurts? And so it's worth asking the question, where is God when shaken happens? Now, I think it's really easy for us to associate God's love and God's kindness and God's faithfulness but things are going well. I mean, you, you don't need to be a genius to figure that out. And we love seeing God's you know, faithfulness towards us when things are turning out how we hoped, when things are turning out how we prayed they would turn out. But it's sometimes more difficult. The waters are a little bit more murky when things aren't going well, when things are shaken up. Where do we see God then? 
You know, our vision as a church, our heartbeat as a church, really, is to see Jesus in everything. And again, we can see Jesus in the good, but where is Jesus when things are hurtful, when things are painful, when we're suffering, when things are shaken? So what I want to do in these next few moments, I want you to stay with me, and we're going to look over two weeks, we're going to unpackage this idea, is one of the most profound Christian beliefs and Christian practices that exist. In fact, this is one of the things that sets up the, the Christian belief and the belief in Jesus uh, completely different from any other belief that is out there. It's, it's, one of the, it's not the only thing, but certainly one of the, the beliefs that we lean into. And we're going to look at one of the most profound Christian beliefs that has been overtly shown in the life of Jesus. But uniquely today, I want to look how it's been taught and explained and illustrated through the teachings of the Apostle Paul. If you're not familiar with Paul, Paul hated Christians. He murdered Christians until he himself encountered Jesus. His life was turned around. Then he became one of the most passionate followers of Jesus history has ever seen. He wrote about two-thirds of our New Testament. So what we're going to do today is one of his writings. And it's worth noting, if you're someone who isn't familiar with the Bible, maybe you're someone that is familiar with the Bible, you've just never been taught how it's been pieced together. This is a, a real basic view of one of the ways in which we understand. For the Christian, all of our beliefs, all of our doctrines, all of our practices are rooted and grounded in the person of Jesus. And the reason is, is because ultimately we believe the claims of Jesus that he was God in a body. That's what the, the term son of God means, God as a human. And the reason he was able to authenticate that claim was through the, the one thing that only God could do, be resurrected in a body again. So, so we look at everything Jesus taught, everything Jesus illustrated, everything Jesus showed, but also who he was. And we take that as the gospel, as good news, as truth, because he authenticated, he punctuated it through his resurrection. And so what we see then in the New Testament, it was written by those who saw Jesus' life, was there for his ministry, was there for his teaching, witnessed his death, but more than that, they were there for his resurrection. And so much of the New Testament is written in trying to explain and outwork and apply what Jesus taught and what Jesus showed. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to take one verse from a New Testament book, the book of Romans, or the letter of the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. We're going to take out one verse, and this verse has been used so much to help shape much of Christian thought, much of Christian belief, much of Christian conviction. Now, it's not the only verse that illustrates this, but it's certainly one of the most popular ones. In fact, I know a lot of people that have got this verse tattooed somewhere on their body. So as you can imagine, it's a pretty well-known verse. So this is where we read. This is from the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome. This is in Romans chapter 8, and it's just one verse, verse 28. He writes this. He says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. We know, as in we have this conviction, we are convinced that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, this is, a, this is a huge claim, and, and you know, this has been used, I think, incorrectly a lot to justify horrible things happening in our life. And I, I certainly don't want to use this verse today to minimize things in our life that are hurting, that are painful. And I know for many of you right now, you're going through things that are difficult to, I guess, come to terms and come to peace with what you believe of God and what you're experiencing. And some of you indeed might not yet have been convinced of who God is and who He says He is because of what you're experiencing in life. So I don't want to minimize what you're going through, but I do want to look at how this, this particular belief has formed so much of how the Christian is to view the world and to view suffering, and indeed in this season to view life 
through the lens of this when things are shaken. You have to understand, for those who wrote the New Testament, the apostles who were there, who witnessed Jesus' life, they wrote this in light of the fact, and they saw this outworked when Jesus, the most perfect, innocent person to have ever lived, died the most horrendous criminal's death. And so they even look at that, the most horrible thing that could have happened, the unjust killing of an innocent man. And even then they were convinced that God was doing something good in something so horrible that even in the death of Jesus, God was doing something for us. And so when things are shaken, this is why the Christians believe this, when things are shaken, we are convinced, and here's the point of today, that God is doing something good for you. He's doing something good for us. And so let's break this down just for a moment, okay? It's a big verse. Let's have a look at a few things. The first idea is this, and this is super important to understand. It says, we know that in all things, God works. God works. And it's a simple thought, but it's a great place to start. God is always working. He's never not. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. And some of you might be thinking, what about the Sabbath day? Yes. Rest in God's idea is still active. The difference between passive rest and active rest. If you're an exerciser, someone who works out, you will know that your rest days are super important. That's when your body does so much growth and so much strengthening. So rest isn't passive. Rest can be active. What you have to know about God is he is always working, even when he's resting. And so if you take what the disciples saw when they saw Jesus on the cross, when they saw God dead in human form on a cross, They were despairing and they couldn't understand what was going on. They thought they'd lost, but yet all along, even in that moment, God was doing his best work. So God is always working. And maybe in your life right now, you're looking at things that are shaken, an area of your life that is painful or hurting. And it might be difficult to understand where is God in this. What you have to begin with is knowing this, why you can't see it. And we might not understand it now. And the words of the Apostle Paul, we know that in all things, God works and one of the greatest christian beliefs and christian hopes is that even when we don't see it and even when we can't put legs to it god in his mercy and his grace is always working something you need to know right now god is working for you he doesn't sit on his hands he's never doing no thing he's always up to something so god works we know that in all things god works but notice that in all things in all things God works. So here's the next point worth understanding. Yes, we can see God easily working in the good things, but here's the promise. As much as he works in good things, bad things don't stop God working. We know that in all things God works. So even in bad things, God is working. When things aren't turning out how you suppose, God is still working. No matter the thing, God is in it. He's in it. And it's worth noting that God is interested. This is, man, this is incredible, an incredible truth to know. That in all the areas of our life, God is interested in being involved. All areas and all things. Not just the spiritual. And if, look, if this season has taught us anything, and you've been attending Suncoast for any amount of time before we just had to do it through screens, if we got to be in the room together, you'd hear us say all the time that we aren't the church. Sorry, we... We are the church. We don't just go to church. I got that one wrong, but I fixed it. We won't even edit that, guys. Keep that one in. We are the church. We don't just go to church, which is, again, at heart, Jesus and everything. So Jesus just isn't interested in your Sundays only. And I want to encourage you, man, if you're part of Suncoast Church here, 
Don't let even this moment, watching this, be all you're doing to connect right now with God, let alone your church community, just with your relationship with God. Jesus is interested in all areas and all things in our life. He's interested in your finances. Don't leave him on the, on the sideline. Don't just relegate God to emergencies with your finances. He wants to be involved in all things, in your relationships. Man, for those of you that are married right now, invite God into it. He's willing and passionate about being involved in our marriage, in our health, in our mental health, in all things, because it is all spiritual. The thing is, we love for God to do things for us. And as much as he does, God also loves to do things in us. He loves to work in all things. So it goes on. In all things, we know that God works, here's the next point, for the good of those for the good of those, meaning the good God is interested in doing isn't for the thing. He's interested in doing good for the those, for people. God is way more interested in the lives of people than the outcome of things. And we can often relegate God's faithfulness and God's goodness when we look at how things are turning out, but God is way more interested in what's happening in us and what's happening in things. And I know it's difficult often for us to separate the two, but it's not difficult for your heavenly father. It's easy for him to separate the two. And the confidence that the Christian has is that in all things, God is working good for people. His primary concern is for us, for people made in his image. God is able to take a bad thing and make it work for good in a person's life. And finally, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Now, this this little line here, I mean, I've rest, if I'm honest with you, I've wrestled it for many years to try and figure out what exactly is this belief here, but I, I can just be honest with you and how it makes sense in my life for those who love him and those who have been called according to his purpose. There's a, I've found at least in my life, maybe you have too, there's a pretty big difference between loving God and aligning your life with his or submitting your will to his will. It's one thing to say, man, I love God. I know many of you watching this, you, you love God and you're grateful for God and you're grateful for who he is and what he gives. But there's another huge step to take between just loving him and surrendering your life or submitting your life to him. And maybe you're someone who's never done that. Today, I want to encourage you, this is a moment maybe for you to do that. And at the end of this message today, I want to be able to pray for you to maybe take that first step of surrendering your life to God. But there is a big difference between loving God and submitting your life to him. In other words, I've seen this work out this in this way, that there's a huge difference between believing in God and believing God. And maybe for some of you, your struggle is just believing in God. And I totally get that. And if you're here today and that's where you are, like you haven't even got your head around believing in God yet. That's a huge step to make. But in the same manner, if you are someone who believes in God, taking the next step to believe God to believe what he says, to believe what he thinks, to believe who he says he is and who he says you are, that's another huge step to take. And so when I look at this particular passage and taking that step from simply believing God, or sorry, believing in God, to believing God, believing what he says is a step for us all to take. And here's my point. Believing in God, it will cause you to question. And there's no problem with that. That's so important for us. But simply believing in God will cause you to question but believing God will cause you to hope. Believing in God will cause you to question, but believing God will cause you to hope. And here's the point. This is what Paul is saying in the scripture here. He goes, we know that 
In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. It's just to say this, as if to say this, we believe God is able to work in all things and it has led him to this conviction saying, we know this, we know this. It is a statement of, of hope. So if this is true, and if the apostle Paul knew this, if they saw it in the life of Jesus, and we believe this, what does this supposed good look like? Particularly when we're experiencing bad things and when things are shaken. Now, so Paul's making this huge claim. You know, we know that in all things, God works for good. He laid the foundation for this just a few pages earlier. So if you're reading through a Bible or scrolling through the app, a few pages earlier in chapter 5, he lays a foundation for how he got to this conclusion in chapter 8. And I want to read this to you. This is from Romans chapter 5, halfway through verses 2, and I'll read to verse 4. He writes, he writes, And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also, and here's the thing, we glory in our sufferings. Massive. It says, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, I've read this so many times over, and it is, over years it has made more and more sense to me. So maybe this is the first time you're coming across this idea, and it's, it's heavy to get your head around, but stay with me, okay? He was able to draw a conclusion, not just that we can rejoice and boast in God because of his promise and because of all the good he gives to our life. He said we can also rejoice in God, or we can boast in suffering. I mean, who says that? Who's able to look at suffering or when things are shaken and go, I can still rejoice when things are broken. I can still rejoice when things are hurtful. And I can still rejoice in suffering. And this here, this is one of the most unique dynamics to the Christian faith and to the person who puts their trust in Jesus Christ. That you can know hope and you can know joy and you can know life. Yes, when you realize what God gives you, but you can also know joy in suffering. And this is such a big deal and it's difficult for us to hear when we're experiencing suffering, but this is one of the fundamental Christian hopes. And here's the idea of hope in this context. Hope or the Christian hope is the lens in which the Christian views the whole world. The idea that whether it's good or bad, God is working in it all. This is the Christian hope. It's why Paul is able to say, we rejoice in his sufferings. And why my prayer for you is that whatever you're experiencing now, whatever shaking is happening in your life, you too can discover joy. And like the Apostle Paul wrote, when you look at Jesus, we can rejoice in our suffering. Not despair, not a feeling of nothingness, but we can view the world and all that's happening in it through the Christian lens of hope. You know, I was reminded of just how profound this is by someone who isn't even a follower of Jesus. And I was reading an interview just recently by a young Yazidi refugee, a young woman who now is based in Australia, now been here a couple of years, and was originally from Iraq. And she was interviewed and asked, how are you kind of coping with all the isolation that's happening now and with, you know, the coronavirus? And how do you guys feel about, you know, everything that's happening, particularly in terms of being a refugee and, in a, you know, in a new country? And here's what she said. This is amazing. She was quoted as saying, the Yazidi people, the, the people group she is from, have suffered 74 attempted genocides. 
And we have survived many crisis events since troubles, you're telling me. Then she states, she says this, I have hope for the future when I remember our history of overcoming. And when I heard that quote, that when she looked back at her history, the 74 attempted genocides against her people, I would have thought surely her lens of the future would be one that's grim and one that she's lost any hope that there's any good in humanity, but it was the opposite. She didn't look at through this, this horrible lens of simply being a victim. She said, I've looked at how we've overcome, how we're still here. And that has taught me to now have hope for the future and how much more for the Christian, how much more for the follower of Jesus when we looked at the good God has done for, for us. If someone can look at the evil that mankind has done and still have hope for the future, how much more can the Christian look at the good that God has done and have hope for the future. And here's what I take from it is that this world and the times we're in does not have to have the final say in our lives, in our suffering, and in what's been shaken in our lives. That the shaking doesn't have to override all else and shape our view of the world. Our hope in Jesus is what can reshape a whole view of the world. And why is that? Why is that? And here's where I want to land today before going to then part two next week. And the Apostle Paul puts it here. He says, because we know that suffering, remember what he said? He said, it produces perseverance. It produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. Perseverance, character, hope. And what we learn here is putting our trust and our faith in Christ isn't primarily about what he can do for you and for me, but it's primarily about what he produces in us. That even if things are broken and things are painful, sometimes in those moments, so shaking is when God can do his best work in us. He produces something because suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. Endurance, character, hope. Let's talk about these for a second, right? Because we can often talk about what we're to do, what we are to do. We talk about what I can do differently for my health, what I can do differently for my finances, what I can do differently for my relationships. And so we should what we're to do. But there's another level to our lives that's so much deeper than what we can do. It's what God can do. And what God can do is all about what he's producing in us, about who we are becoming. My prayer is that ultimately who we're becoming, and maybe in this moment right now, globally, whether the shaking, but also personally, whatever the shaking looks like for you in your life. Maybe you're even watching this right now and it's years after this current crisis moved on and you're still watching this. So if a shaking is happening in your personal life right now, here's my prayer, is that we would learn to be a hopeful person. That if, if suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, that we would be hopeful. And the hopeful person, what does that look like? What we read at the beginning, that they're convinced that in all things, God is working for the good of people. A hopeless person, a hopeless person, someone who doesn't have that in life, they see the shaking and they experience the suffering and they allow the shaking to shape their image of God. 
and suffering and shaking becomes the lens in which they will view the world. And if you're in that, I get that. And it's so easy for us to live there where the shaking or the suffering will shape our view, not only of the world and our own life, but our view of God. But the hopeful person, the hopeful person, the person who puts their trust in Jesus Christ, allows what they know of God to shape their view of the shaking and to shape their view of suffering. The hopeless person allows the shaking to shape their view of God, but the hopeful person shapes what they know of God to shape their view of the shaking and the suffering. What do we know of God? Well, we've seen it in the person of Jesus Christ. The hopeful person asks this question. They don't ask, where is God in all this shaking? Why has God left me in this shaking? I'm suffering. How come God's abandoned me? No, no. The hopeful person asks a different kind of question. The hopeful person asks this, what is God doing right now in this shaking? How is God at work right now? So maybe in your life, Maybe your prayer needs to sound different. Maybe your question needs to be different. Switch it around. And for those of you that are experiencing shaking in an area of your life right now, ask the question, what is God doing? And what is God wanting to do in me in this shaking? You know, sometimes the true potential of something is only realized when it's shaken. You've got to shake well before use. And maybe the shaking going to become your making and God can do his best work in you in it God bless you hey thank you so much for joining us today you know next week I'm going to continue part two of this message we're going to break down a little bit further we're going to look at what endurance is we're going to look at what character is right now I want to pray for you and particularly for those of you that have yet to put your trust in Jesus I'm going to play a simple prayer Words will be on the screen. You can pray this quietly. You can pray this out loud. But it's a chance for you to make your first step today of putting your trust in Jesus and knowing the hope that comes through him. So would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for giving your life for me. Thank you for accepting me. And thank you for forgiving all my sins. Today I choose to put my trust in you. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by what you heard and inspired to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. Hope you can join us again on the next podcast or here at Suncoast Church.